listening to Talking Heads. I'm your host, Selena McKenzie, and I'm joined today by two ladies who are going to share their experiences of racial discrimination. This is a controversial subject, but very important to get the message out that prejudice and discrimination is not acceptable. First of all, welcome to this podcast, Maxine Room. Hello, Selena. And Lisa Ali, welcome. Hi, Selena. Hi, Maxine. Nice to chat to you both. So, Maxine, first of all, you're the founder of Medicree, which is a very unusual name. So what does it mean? Ah, right. So Medicree is a diversity and inclusion consultancy. Um, The name came from working with a a friend in London, looking at something which would give us an an acronym, but it actually links to um, pedagogy and learning as well. So it's sort of an old Greek uh, and Latin derivative. Um, so we motivate, we educate, we we work with diversity. Um, I talk very much about action with impact in the training and development that I do. And um, it's really something that has developed over the last year um, in the pandemic, really. And I brought associates together to work with me. Yeah, I have to say, I I am um, embarrassed to say how ignorant I have been until recently. And, and like you say, during the pandemic with George Floyd, with everything that happened, I didn't realise that in this day and age, this still went on. But watching things like football matches and things on the TV, I'm, I'm just horrified that this is going on in 2021. Yeah. And and often these are the same people that sit in diversity and inclusion training. And you could see that it makes very little difference when it's done as something to people um, because they can switch in and out of it. So some of the work we do through Medicare Associates is partnering with organisations over a period of time, working with them um, on their strategy and their action plan and actually trying to get the head and the heart of people working together and an understanding around the difference that colour makes. I know, I know you, Lisa, um, had a terrible, terrible time recently that you told me about. Can you just let mm. us know your background and what happened? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, like, um, you know, I was joking with you the other day. My sister always used to say, oh, you're like Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, you, when I was a kid. Because <laughs> I never kind of acknowledged that almost that sense of my my father's heritage. You know, he wasn't a presence in our life when we were growing up. So we grew up with my white English mother in a very white town. Um, My dad was born and bred in Trinidad and he was of Kashmiri origin. So, you know, like a lot of the time, particularly here in Spain, people look at me, they think I'm Spanish because I've got that very kind of European Mm. look, but dark skin. Um, But I was quite, to be honest, Selena, I mean, growing up, Um, Maxine I'm sure you've had your own experiences but I think what really shocked me was going back to the UK in June and I was in Cardiff and I was with my stepdaughter and we were sitting outside we'd had this lovely sunny day we were sitting outside it was really lovely and we were having a drink and this woman walked by she had these beautiful kiddies you know she had five kids little twins and I was just you know like you do you're just kind of like smiling you're thinking oh it's a lovely day look at those pretty kids they're lovely they're gorgeous and she just got very abusive but she turned around I hope your 
your listeners aren't going to be too offended by what I say, but this is what happened. She turned around and she said, what are you looking at? What are you fucking looking at, you dirty, stinking packy? (gasps) Oh, my goodness. And she was a woman of colour. Really? That makes no sense to me at all. No sense at all. Wow. It's you know, You know, Maxine, like, even saying it, I've got a little bit of a shiver because... Mm. That's the first time in a long time that I've experienced such overt mm. prejudice and racism. Mm. 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 What did you um, do, Lisa? That resonates. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I mean, you know, I, I kind of like, I, I, I really went into shock and my, my stepdaughter didn't hear. And, you know, she said, do you want me to call the police? And I said, this woman's got five kids. Mm. I think I think actually probably there was something mentally unwell yeah. about her, but yeah. unstable. But it was just that that was an okay response mm. to nothing, to mm. nothing mm. that I, I found, I, and that she was a woman of colour. Yeah. I mean, there was a hierarchy so, of it. There's, it's so just under the surface sometimes. So your story res- resonates with me in, in several ways and, and differs in several ways. So I um, grew up in one of the poorest boroughs in, in London, in Hackney. Um, my father was Jamaican. Uh, my mother was white and, and came down from Bolton in the north to live in London. And um, she had a very tricky sort of relationship with my, my father. There's five years between my brother and I. So so it sort of dragged on. But in the end, they, they divorced, mainly because he disappeared. You know, he was the itinerant black father who, who didn't want the responsibility. And so we grew up with a white mother who protected us very much from prejudice and racism and and gave us the message that we were as good as anyone else. And for a long time, you don't actually realise that the comments that are made about your race or your colour are any different to comments that are made by bullies and and people other people who are harassed so you know people who've got disabled disabilities spaz you know that horrible word you know yeah. spastic you know all those all those words that actually now have have to a large extent disappeared and so my although i had a sense of my black heritage my mother protected us and and she had white brothers um who also, I think, sort of tried to um, hide the fact almost that that we were mixed race. But she was she in, initially she was encouraged to get rid of me to have me adopted um, because my father wasn't around, you know. And how was she going to bring up a child on her own at that time? And then he sort of came back in and out of our lives. And there were comments made, and it, it's fascinating, isn't it? How some things bring it back so. Um, potently. So recently I was um, in a bar in Spain um, with people that we knew. In fact, I joined my, my husband who was who was down there having a drink. I went to pick him up and a so-called friend um, started to chat, chat to me, a male, a white male. And what he tried to do was to say, you know, in, in that subtle but not so subtle way, I'm not racist. Okay, mm. you know, so I'm not racist. But, I'm not racist, but but <laughs> yeah. and yeah. and the story he told was, uh, you know, what he said was, um, 
Yeah, when I was in uh, London, I used to go to the gym and there were all these black guys in there and they used to call me the white nigger. And, you know, that's why I'm not racist. And I was like, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to associate. And, and because I'm in education, I tried to explain that that was not appropriate. And, and actually that language, you know, wherever it came from, wasn't wasn't good language and and the n-word is not a word you know that that we use like colored you know you know i used to say am mm. i blue am i pink am i you know yes. what am i <laughs> yeah. my daughter yes. gets told she's not black because she's lighter skin than i am and her father's white so she's not black but we identify as black in terms of structural racism so yeah. i really tried with this guy to try and do a little bit of education i thought okay he would not listen not listen just kept going with it and in the end, I walked away and I, I told my husband, who was at the other end of the bar, and this guy followed me. And my husband really tried hard to to educate as well. And in the end, I said, I'm not listening to this. I don't have to be here. And I walked away and I was furious. Mm. And it's, it hasn't <laughs> happened to me for such a long time. But And I said to my husband afterwards, there was no way he, he was going to listen to me. As far as he was concerned, I was just a black woman. I, the fact that I've got three degrees, I've got a CBE from the Queen, I've been working in education, it didn't matter. It was about the colour of my skin. Shocking. Mm. And, and Shocking. you know, I, I think it's interesting as well. Like, you know, we've had some conversations in Selena and with other people when they heard this story. Actually, it's, it's interesting about, I know Hackney very well. I lived in Hackney as well. Oh, right. You know, and, and my father left when I was three. Um, and my mum was asked in the park one day, well, she was, oh, oh, no, a lady said to her, oh, how brave of you, dear. You've adopted three of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, that kind of like, you know, that thing. Um, so I lost the thread then. I was going to go back to this <laughs> thing about this sort of this casual. Yeah. When you uh, share you know, it with people, what do they say when you share that story? They just kind of look a bit surprised. They kind of go, because, of course, quite a few people know my mum as well, and they kind of go, you know, because yeah. mm -hmm. they know how, how close we are. Um, but I think what I was going to come back to about what you were saying, this guy that you know, and he couldn't possibly kind of get what, you know, uh, you were trying to explain to him. The amount of people that say to me, um, and it's like you say your daughter, she you identify as black, I identify as mixed. People go, yeah, I just see you as Lisa. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's pretty offensive. Yeah. You're taking away my ability to identify as a mixed-race woman. Yeah. Which you're you proud know, of. It's quite right. You mm. know, it's my it's like part it's of who thing. I am. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like, it yeah. makes me what I am and everything and everything that we've done. Yeah. But the amount of people that say, no, 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 I just see you as Lisa. Mm. And that in itself yeah. is quite casually racist. Yeah. And if I say to people, um, if I reflect that back in terms of so you don't want to see me as black, because if you see me as black or you see me as mixed race, there is a problem. There is a problem. The other question I get I get asked is, where are you from? OK, so I'll say I'm from London. No, no, no. I'll say, oh, I'll say I'm from London. And then they'll say, no, no, where are you really from? And I'll say Hackney. And then, and then, and then 
You then go, no, no, no. And I say, what is the question you want to ask? Where do you want to pigeonhole me? What, what is it you want to know? Because, you know, you're not asking. So I could be stood with, and this happened last, last week in a, in a conference. Um, I was uh, at the crypto conference in, in London. And I could be stood next to a white man and they will not ask the same question. They will not ask, where are you from? In the same way that they ask me, where are you from? Mm. And that's, oh. that's the difference. And, and it's a recognition. Now, now some people have, um, been, have defended that and said, no, no, people just want to know where you're from. And I said, no, they don't. <laughs> I've had lived with it so many years. They don't want to know because if I say I'm from London, that should be good enough. But they keep going, keep asking yeah, the same yeah. question. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I exactly the same. Where are you from? Hastings. No, but where are you from? <laughs> where are you from? From? No, it's, yeah, it's, it's like if, there, if there's a different intonation, they'll get a different answer. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I recognise you know that um, you know we live within a racist society. There's structural racism, organizational racism, individual racism, prejudice and discrimination. And prejudice plus power equals discrimination. So if you have a prejudice and you have the power, you can discriminate. And this is part of the work that I do in workshops. I don't talk about unconscious bias. What I talk about is how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because that's what gets people in terms of once they feel uncomfortable about something, they can get comfortable with learning more and understanding more. And some of that is around bias and prejudice. And why is that? Why is it if I walk into a room with a group of white men and they're all principals of colleges, it's assumed that I am the secretary or the admin assistant or even the tea lady, um, I once did that in Wales. My very first uh, principalship was in um, in Swansea, and there was a, a meeting of the twenty three white male principals. Sorry, twenty two white male principals and me, and and I'd driven from Swansea. It taken me a while, so they'd already got there, and and I got into the room, opened the door, and they and and looked in, and they said, "No, no, we don't want the tea yet." And I was a CEO principal. Oh, my goodness. Because it was assumed, although they were expecting me, their default was, well, can't she, that can't possibly be her. <laughs> it's interesting, Maxine, yeah. because when I was reading about you, 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 I'm assuming this is what you mean by unconscious bias. You said that you've been asked to empty your bag multiple times when alone on a back road in the Costa Tropical, even though you're with your white yeah. husband who, who never got checked. Is that what unconscious bias no. is? Yes, because people will assume that, and and if I when I when I mentioned that, people said to me, "No, no, the Spanish police are not are not prejudiced. They wouldn't discriminate." So I'm just a normal woman with an, a bright orange backpack, walking in to get some shopping, and I'm stopped in the lockdown. Although we're allowed to, you know, and and I said, "No, my husband can't drive me. I need to walk. What's in your bag?" And they want to check what's in my bag. Mm -hmm. And you just feel, and, and this is something I've become increasingly, it's become increasingly painful. 
in dealing with authorities like the police when, when they don't know you is what might be the penalty for me if I don't comply? I've, oh. And being a black woman, what, what might happen to me if I don't comply? And that was my fear, mm. you know, in that set. But my husband never got stopped, never got asked to, to, uh, about his shopping or anything. <laughs> when um, it, it reminds me, when I, um, many years ago, my ex-husband and I had spent um, uh, six odd months away from the UK and we'd been around Australia and various different things, probably a bit longer, actually, maybe eight months. And we got back to the UK and we'd both stopped working and we both kind of wrote to the tax office, you know, I was self-employed and he was like, he was an employed, you know, person. And I got a letter back from HMRC saying, how long do you intend to stay in the country? What is your business in the country? Um, uh, do you intend to, uh, uh, you know, uh, rent accommodation in the country? Yeah. And my husband had nothing. No. No. And I, and like my my accountant actually wrote back and said, you know, um, my client is a British citizen. Yeah. There is no need. She has, you know, she lives here. This is yeah. this is her home. Yeah. Um, and we wonder if uh, why her husband, whose name is Slater, did not receive the same questioning as my client, Lisa Alley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never heard back from him. Never no. heard back from them. No. But it was a, it was about right to remain. Yeah. Uh, in the yeah. UK yeah. as a British citizen with the name Ali. Crazy. It's crazy. And, yeah. and it's it, crazy. And it is those it is those things where when you tell people, they say, "Oh no, no, that's just that was just a mistake." Like the fact that when I came back through the airport into Spain, there's two queues at the passport. I'm asked to take my mask down. The white male next to me isn't asked to take his mask down. So he's looking at my picture and and me, but the guy next to me didn't have to do it. Or the woman, mm. or the white woman. And you just think, and I say to my husband, you know, you can get paranoid. And I was talking to a black friend about this. Love. You can get paranoid. You can see everything through that lens, unfortunately. And... It's wearing and exhausting and tiring in a way that, you know, my my white friends, counterparts, peers, etc. don't have don't have the same experiences. So so their lived experience isn't the same as mine. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, somebody said to me the other day, we were talking about this and I said that I've got you guys on. And she said the thing is, she says, you don't realize that if she's she's a black woman she says me as a black woman or a woman of color walks into the room i feel different to everyone else everyone looks at me and i said no surely not 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 in this day and age she said i do i feel different if i walk into a room everyone else is white i immediately feel different and everyone stares at me and i i was shocked and i as a white person myself we have no idea what it's like no idea at all no, I, th- I think, you know, I think there's also that thing as well, like um, um, about, you know, I think what you were saying is really interesting. You know, is it is it that you become uh, Maxine that, you you know, like, are you super, super conscious and like, are you, you know, more aware of it? Um, I honestly believe that Brexit in the UK has made things worse. 
Mm. I think it's it's almost like it's given people free reign to say things mm. and behave in ways mm. um, that perhaps they hadn't. Well, they were always there, but I think it's become more obvious. More, yeah. But yeah. did you see that wonderful quote? I think it was on LinkedIn. It's probably other places that that um, now that we don't have enough lorry drivers because all the immigrants have, have gone home. Why is it if we thought they were taking all our jobs that we haven't filled the jobs with the people that are left? The indigenous. So it's fascinating, isn't it, that, that, you know, they're taking all our jobs. Now, there are there are thousands of jobs available now, thousands of jobs in the UK, and they can't fill them. And the, 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 the people on the to the right of the right would say all those people who took our jobs. So immigration is now emigration. We're not allowing certain people in. The, the gates are down unless you have the right visa. And we can't fill the jobs from within. It's it's impossible to do that. It, mm. it always was. Mm. But there was a belief that these people were taking our, our jobs, is what the, the far right would say. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a conundrum. And, and you know, I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to, to explain that one to me. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I do think that behaviour, there is a certain thing because of that, uh, you know, of course, I think, you know, Brexit was based upon um, immigration, like for the people. Like, I think that was a big thing. I don't know if that's your view, too. Most mm. of us just didn't really understand the nitty gritty. So said, let's stay in you know but i think the people that did vote leave it was a lot about you know the you know all the foreigners coming and taking our jobs mm. and and i do think that this has created somewhat some not not just from what happened to me in june my personal experience but some of the things that i see it just seems that people are they've almost like it's almost like the shields come down and it's like, yeah, I can say that. It's like, like you were saying about, you know, like the people that they think it's being done to them, mm. you know, mm. it's like now it's like, mm, you know, it, it, it's more people are, I don't know. I don't know. That's my kind of. go into genetics, the more you realise we are such a melting pot. So it would yes. be interesting for a lot of these far right people to do a genetics test and see what their real origins are. Yeah. And what's the maxim? What's what's the answer? What is is it about educating people then? Is it about people like myself yeah, I, educating them not to be ignorant about these things or, or standing yeah. up and being counted? I mean it's it it's the the, the diff, it's a bit like bullying. It's it's often the victim's responsibility to sort it out. So what happens, you know, my experiences in colleges, for example, and, and in schools. It's often those who are diverse, it's up to them to educate, do the interventions and make things happen. Now, it's sides against the middle because I think there is there is some of that. And, and, and you know, in my day to day and having trained two husbands, um, <laughs> two white husbands who, who, know, who get it, one was a police officer first one and he actually went into equality diversity inclusion training in the police in the southwest 
and and my current husband um, has, has learned a lot simply by by being with me and understanding my lived experience. But because for him, as a white male, it's a bit like safety. You know, as a white male, we were in London last week. He doesn't have to worry about where he goes or what he does. But for me, as a black woman getting across London, I have to think, how am I going to get there? You know, is it? Is it safe, etc.? So I think there is some some training and development we can do as individuals, but it, it takes its toll. But what I do through Medicare and the associates and and through I belong to the Black FE Leadership Group. We've got an anti-racism ten-point plan. We we do training and development with organisations predominantly in education, but it will be wider. Um, and we work from the top down. So if the leader, and this is my experience, because I, you know, I, I was a CEO of a, a large college in London. It was 50 million, 800 staff, 16,000 students. So strategy is my thing. So if the leader actually wants diversity, inclusion, in inclusive diversity to happen through recruitment, through through enrolling students, through whatever mechanism, they it has to start there. So some of the work that I do is in partnering with organisations to make that happen. Um, and as I say, the BFELG, we do that work. And I work with other associates you'll see on, on my website. Um, we're all in our own way activists and we do a whole range of work. Um, I'm doing some, thing, some talks for Black History Month. But as I say, I don't stop... I don't start being black in October and stop at the end of October. I'm black all the year round. So that's my that's my title. But so I'm 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 working with a large organization next week talking about a bit like we've done here is my journey, what's what I have done and what it means and trying to get them to engage in what they need to do in their organizations. And, and one of the big things is allyship advocates and sponsors mm. i want to thank um you maxine and costa women for introducing you to us lisa thank you so much for sharing your experience you're always great on talking heads thank you for joining us oh um, thank you i appreciate you asking me so if you enjoyed this talking heads please listen out click like and subscribe thank you for joining us <laughs>